0: Pray with me, Father in heaven, the good news too is that uh, we are forever yours, thus united to you for all time and for all of eternity. We're grateful and we now pray that you would uh, cause us to yield ourselves completely, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our hearts, our very souls to yield to you, to listen, to hear, and that you'd penetrate deep. And God, that your word would have a great purpose in our lives today to bring grace, to bring mercy, and to bring help to us in our time of need, this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn, please, to Acts, in chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. I want to read verses 14 to 41. Acts in chapter 2, please. Hear the word of God. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make full of glad, make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, this is the first of 19 sermons or speeches in the book of Acts. Um, They're all longer probably than what we have. Um, These are... Uh, the parts that we need to have by the Holy Spirit, but but Peter probably preached longer. It says in verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So we don't have the end of this. In fact, there's a passage in Acts in chapter 20 where Paul had preached late into the evening, into, into the night, and so late uh, that a man named Eutychus, who was sitting on a windowsill, fell out of the window and died. Uh, Paul wasn't finished preaching, so he went downstairs somewhat inconvenienced, and and brought the man back to life, and then went and preached until dawn. Uh, By the way, if you fall asleep, if you die, the funeral will be Thursday at Uh, 2. I'm not not that good at this, so um, don't expect uh, that, though I will be quite inconvenienced. Now, What we have in this one, in this particular sermon of Peter's, is the explanation of what has just happened. There's confusion about what has just happened. Uh, The people who see it actually think the apostles and the disciples of Jesus are drunk. Now, the best explanation that Peter gives, I I wish he'd come up with a different one, but he says, they can't be. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Sort of leaves open for what would happen if it were 9 o'clock at night. Uh, But he says, no, 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 it couldn't be drunk. It's too early in the day for that. And so here they are, needing an explanation. Because something has happened on this particular day. And it's the day, as you remember from last Sunday, of Pentecost. Penta 5, it's 50 days after uh, the uh, beginning with the first uh, day after the Sabbath... From Pentecost. So if you look at it, I'm sorry, from Passover. So after the Passover, if you move from that day to that first Sabbath, which is a Saturday, and then begin counting with that next day, which is a Sunday, and count for 50 days, you'll come to another Sunday, and that's Pentecost. For us, it's Easter to Pentecost because Jesus was seen risen on that first Sunday after the first Sabbath, Saturday, after Passover. And these feasts, these festivals like Passover and, and Pentecost, were given to the ancient Israelites to celebrate so that they could reflect upon God's grace to them and His mercy to them and worship. And Pentecost was uh, first it was called the Feast of Weeks, because it was seven weeks in a day after uh, that Saturday of Passover that ended Passover time. But it was also a harvest feast. It was the feast of new grain. Um, The the day after the, the, um, the, sort of the first day after uh, the first Sabbath of Passover was a barley offering when the barley harvest came in. Well, now on Pentecost, the grain offering had come in. So they were to bake two loaves of bread with this grain and some yeast and they were waved before the Lord. And that was this Passover celebration. to, to give thanks to God for his provision for them. But it became, too, as we mentioned last Sunday, a time when the ancient Israelites celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. You might remember that a promise was given to Abraham that he would have many descendants and all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world would be blessed through him, through his people, through one of his descendants. And you also remember that Abraham was given a promise of some land. And God said, now there's going to be a 400-year period where your people will be enslaved before they come to this land. And that was the enslavement in Egypt. And you remember that Moses went to Egypt. And, and said to the Pharaoh, "Let God's people go." Pharaoh kept saying no, even though God displayed His power in that place over and over again. And then the final plague, the tenth one, the judgment really upon Egypt, was a judgment that said that the firstborn sons will die. And God gave to Israel a substitute, and it was a lamb. And on that Passover night, they 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 cut the the, the throats of that lamb, they took the blood and they painted it on their doorposts. And so that night, when the angel of death came over all the households in that place, that none of the Israelite firstborn died, but all of the Egyptian firstborn died. And so on that particular Passover, a substitute was given and then after that, The very next day, they were delivered from their slavery and they left Egypt. And as they left Egypt, you remember, they got to the Red Sea. And then after the Red Sea, they came to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God, in a very dramatic fashion, gave to them the law. He gave two tablets of the law. And then then it was explained and, 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 and they were told then how God would live among them how that all would work as they would be God's people. And so it's at Mount Sinai that Israel became the nation. Israel became the very people of God under the constitution of this holy law with God in their presence, with priests and sacrifices and prophets and kings. So they celebrated that and that's what normally happened on the day of Pentecost. Now something different happened on this day of Pentecost, but not really that different remember as chapter 2 opens there's a sound of a great rushing wind that's coming where the disciples of Jesus are and it's the sound of a great rushing wind it's not a great rushing wind it's the very presence of God it just sounds like a freight train coming through it sounds like an airplane taking off this great rushing wind And then tongues of fire, as of fire, begin to kind of dance around their heads. And these disciples of Jesus, unlearned men essentially, begin to speak in languages that they haven't heard. Because when the sound of the great rushing wind came, all these people started rushing to see what was going on. And they came, these men, who were there for the Feast of Pentecost, but they were from all over the known world. Because Pentecost was one of those feasts where Jewish men had to go to Jerusalem. And centuries before, the Israelites had been dispersed. And so they were all over the place, all over the known world, and they had adapted into the cultures in which they found themselves, and now they were coming back to Pentecost. And sure, some of them may have known Greek, some of them Latin, maybe even some of them Hebrew, but what they were hearing were the mighty deeds of God spoken by these unlearned men in their heart language, in the language that they were most familiar with and it was communicating to them about the great things of God. And they wondered, what is going on here? Are these men drunk? What's really happening? And so Peter now begins the explanation and he goes to the prophet Joel and he essentially says, this is that. In other words, this is what Joel was speaking about centuries before in his prophetic word. And he has it right here. This is out of Joel chapter 2. You don't have to turn to that because we have it right here. And he begins by saying, In the last days, and again remember, the last days began at the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. I hope you don't get sucked into buying books and their titles say, Last Days Anything, right? Because they're normally... Not these kind of last days. It's not about this. We've been in the last days for almost 2,000 years. Now, we may be in the last month of the last days. We may be in the last year of the last days. We may be, I don't know, the last minute of the last days. I don't know. But we've been in the last days for a long time because Joel was prophesying about a new time, a new era after the coming of the Messiah after the work of the Messiah that would be different than the time had been up to the coming of the Messiah, then a new era would take place. So he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Now, the operative word there is all. It doesn't mean every single human being, but it means all kinds of people. Very different than before. Prior to the work of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, death, resurrection, ascension, and all of that, the Holy Spirit was poured out and given in special situations to special people with special tax, tasks by and large. The Holy Spirit came upon, for instance, the artisans who were, who were building the tabernacle and building the temple. They were filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do just that. The Holy, Holy Spirit came upon prophets so they could speak the word of God. The Holy Spirit came on priests so that they were anointed, so that they could, um, they could represent the people before God. The Holy Spirit came upon kings, they were anointed, so, so they could lead the people righteously, at least that's that what they were supposed to do, uh, uh, before God as well. But there's a sense that something different is happening now. And not only that, if one wanted to know God in those times, you had to become a Jew, essentially. You had to enter into ancient Israel. And, and, and even though Israel was supposed to, to, to glorify God and to reflect God and all that and to, to witness of Him, by and large, the oracles of God, the, the witness of God on the earth was confined to this nation of Israel. And now you get the sense that all that's breaking out. That now it's going to come this... Spirit of God upon all kinds of people. And we see that laid out. I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So there's this sense in which even even the young ones, sons and daughters, uh, you get this sense young men um, shall see visions, old men shall dream dreams. That's because old men can't stay awake through their visions. <laughs> they become dreams, I, I think, after, after a while, uh, starting to learn that. Much better. I see this vision. It just happens. It becomes a dream after a while. Um, my male servants and female servants. You get this sense that that, that that it's all kinds of people. It's not just the elite people. It's servants. It's slaves. It's all kinds of people here. Uh, I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Another important word. They shall prophesy. Meaning, they shall all speak the truth about God. Meaning, they shall all be my witnesses. You see, what was happening when these apostles were speaking these other tongues, they were speaking the mighty deeds of God. They were prophesying. They were telling the truth about God. It wasn't predicting the future. But it was speaking things that were true about God. And you see, that had sort of been in the people of God, sort of been in the hope. Turn to Numbers, if you can get there quickly. Numbers in chapter 11. It's a story about Moses, a situation that happened. Uh, the Israelites were complaining. Nothing new, um, but they were complaining. They were complaining that they only had manna to eat. And so they were complaining that they only had manna. They didn't have any meat. They wanted meat to eat. And so Moses, he's just had it with these people, and he's really getting weary about all the complaints. And so God comes to him and says, Moses, find 70 elders through all this group of people, and what I'll do is I'll take some of the spirit that's on you and I'll put it on them so that they'll be able to help with this work. Again, special pouring of the Holy Spirit, special filling of the Holy Spirit, if you will, uh, for this particular task. And so what happens is, that, is that, that that happens that the Spirit comes upon these, and they begin to prophesy. For instance, in verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered seventy men of the elders, and the people placed around the ten- and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they didn't continue doing it. So they, they spoke the truth about God. I, I don't know how that looked. I don't know what they said. I don't know if they sang a song. I don't, I don't know if they quoted Moses, uh, something he had said before. I don't know. if it was I don't know. Didn't tell us. Verse 26. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Ildad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them. So these two men who were supposed to go, but didn't for some reason, we don't know, maybe they were sick or maybe, I don't know, doesn't say. They were they were among those registered, but they had not gone to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. So you get the picture, while these other guys are prophesying over here all together when the Spirit comes on them, the Spirit comes on these two guys who were supposed to be there, and boom, they start to prophesy. I wonder if it was a surprise to them. I mean, I wonder what they were thinking in the midst of all that. Or, you know, maybe they were at McDonald's ordering a Big Mac, and all of a sudden... I don't know how this came out or where they were, but there they were. Uh, And a young man ran and told Moses, Ildad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, good old Joshua, I mean, this is good Joshua, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses get the sense either had an inkling or a desire that what was upon him in order to lead the people of God, what was upon him in order to know God as he did, what was upon him in order to speak the truth of God he says, oh that you all knew this oh that you all had this and when the spirit of God is poured out on Pentecost we do there it is. That's why Jesus said you'll be my witnesses because when the Spirit comes upon you to embolden you, he'll bring the very presence, Jesus said of me, to you. You'll have the very presence of Christ. You will know him in order to prophesy. Because again, this isn't just empty-headed people saying things about which they have no understanding. This is people upon whom the Spirit has come and worked in so that they know God. you remember the prophet Isaiah, I'm sorry, the prophet Jeremiah Put it like this, Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, um, Behold, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel. This is Jeremiah 31:31. 31, 31. And the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Isn't it amazing that it was on that, it was at Sinai, the mountain, that God wrote the law on tablets for his people to make them his, if you will, to call them together to be a community of people, a nation of people. And isn't it interesting that the promise <laughs> of Jeremiah was that a day will come when my spirit will come upon people and I'll write this law on their hearts. And isn't it interesting that he did it on the day of Pentecost. So while the Jews had come to celebrate the giving of the law on the tablets, the Holy Spirit was writing it upon their hearts. Because you see, Jesus had been crucified around the Passover time, and so he brought freedom from sin, deliverance from slavery to sin. And now on Pentecost, the freedom comes to be combined with the people of God, joined with the people of God, and have the very law of God written on on our hearts so that we would know him so that we could speak of him Jeremiah I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my, my people and no longer shall each teach his neighbor and his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more see in that moment All the national boundaries of Israel were broken. All the specialness of this one and that one and this office and that office to get the Spirit broken. And so the Spirit of God comes on all people. Of course, that doesn't mean there still aren't differences among us. That doesn't mean there still aren't different callings among us. We still have elders and pastors and evangelists and prophets even according to Ephesians 4. And men and women are still different. And there are still different roles as we read in the scripture and all of that. But before God, we understand that each one of us has the Spirit of God enabling us to be in our particular context, in our particular way, in our particular calling, witnesses of the truth about Christ. That's our identity. That's who we are. That's who we've been made to be. And he said that that's the truth for all Kinds of people. And then he says, All this is going to happen before the great day of the Lord. He says, And I'll show wonders in the heavens above. This is verse 19 in Acts 2. Sorry for skipping around so quickly. But I like this. So it just runs through my veins fast. So hang on. Uh, I'll show wonders in the heavens and the signs on the earth below blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes and the great and magnificent day. They'd already seen some of this at the crucifixion of Jesus. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus when dark, the moon and all those things taking place. But again, just a precursor of the great day of the Lord that's to come. And he said between that time and between, the time when the great day really comes, The Spirit of God will be poured out. You'll be my witness. He says, you'll be empowered. You'll know me in order to tell. And he says, and this is the time when all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, on what basis is all that true? He goes on to say, Peter does, it's on the basis of Jesus, of course. He's the one who brings this all to pass. He's the one who makes this happen. He's the one who's ruling and reigning. And he's ruling and reigning, and then by his spirit he rules and reigns on the earth. He's in glory, but ruling and reigning on the earth by his spirit, amazingly through his people. That's why I sort of renamed this book, it's normally called the Acts of the Apostle, but really it's the Acts of Jesus, by his spirit, through his people. Jesus is continuing to rule and reign. It's still his work. His spirit comes to to, 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 to make that happen. Um, and so Peter begins and he says to these Jewish men, right where they live, right in their context, right in their culture, they should understand this. The Gentiles may not understand this, but the Jewish people, these Jewish men should understand this. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Again, Peter is appealing to to very recent history, actual events. He's not appealing to a feeling. He's not appealing to an experience necessarily. Though a great experience had just happened that validated all of that. But he's going back to the real historical person of Christ. And he says... You know this. You, you saw him. And he was attested by God by mighty works, meaning miracles. Do you remember? There was a time in the life of John the Baptist. And John was in prison. And he began to, to doubt a bit. And so he sent some of his disciples to Jesus' disciples with the question, Is Jesus really the Christ? Now, that's amazing, isn't it? But but it tells us, to be humble, it tells us that uh, even this John the Baptist who leapt in his mother's womb uh, when Mary walked into the room, uh, pregnant with Jesus, carrying Jesus, he knew then Jesus was the Messiah. He knew then Jesus was the Christ, before he was even born. And uh, and he knew it when, when he saw Jesus, and he baptized him, and, and Jesus spoke to him, and he saw the dove, the Holy Spirit, come on him. But when he was in prison, uh, he begins to wonder about that. Am I giving my life for the right thing? Am I losing my head uh, you know, over the right, the right good news here, the right gospel? And so his disciples go to Jesus, and Jesus says to, to John the Baptist's disciples, and I've always thought it would have been simply nicer if Jesus would have just said, yes. But he didn't. He didn't say yes. He said, Tell John what you've seen and heard. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The mute speak. The dead have been raised. The lepers have been cleansed. The good news of the kingdom has been preached to the poor. So they went back to to tell that to John. John. And the Bible doesn't go on to show John's response, but you know that when he heard that, he'd go, yes, that's the Messiah. The prophets said that would happen. And these are the mighty works of God. Who else could do this other than God in the flesh? Who else could do this other than God with us? So he did say yes. And it was better than just yes. Because I imagine if he had just said, tell him yes, John would have thought, okay, yes. But since Jesus told him what, they had seen and heard what Jesus had done and said, he would meditate on that and go, oh, mighty works. And wonders, Peter says, you was tested by wonders. And wonders, or that little phrase wonders is often used of, of miracles because that's what miracles do. They make us wonder, who can do such a thing? And he says, and signs, because signs point away from themselves to God. So only God could do these things. So mighty works and wonders and signs, he says, he did in your midst. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He said, first and foremost, this was done by God. It was done by God. He's the one who did this. It was according to his plan and his foreordination. No surprise to God. This was laid out before the creation of the world that Jesus would come and die at this moment in time, in this way, precisely as it was carried out. And we know that from the scripture. All the way from Genesis chapter 3, God said, I'm going to send one who's going to to crush the head of the serpent. And we read Isaiah 53. I read a bit of that before we began to sing, right before I preached. Isaiah chapter 53 it says it was God's will to crush him could be translated it pleased the Lord to crush him it was in the very plan of God for Jesus to be crucified as he was for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Jesus said I've come not to serve but to not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many do you remember a great scene Judas is leading these these army men to um, to capture Jesus in the garden and they say are you the one and he says yes and they all fall down now any thinking man would have then run <laughs> got him just where I want them they're down I'm gonna run but Jesus didn't he says he didn't say it but you get the sense he's gonna come on get up <laughs> I am, and now the next thing you do is arrest me. uh, Because he's saying, I'm in control here. You don't take my life. I give it. It It's God's plan. God's foreordination. But notice the means. He says, God did it through wicked men. That is, he didn't have to twist any arms. He just had Jesus walk around the earth saying what he said, doing what he did, being who he was. And and God knew that that would work in the hearts of wicked men and they would kill him. That would be their inclination. So it wasn't against their will that they did what they did. But God is saying, you don't get the credit for this. I get the glory for this. But this is the means that I used through wicked men. Peter didn't give a long explanation about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of people. He said, this is just the facts. But he said, of course, God raised him up from the dead because death couldn't hold him. And we know why death couldn't hold him. We say this all the time, but it's it's important to know death couldn't hold Jesus because death is the penalty for sin. And once Jesus paid for the sins of sinners, then there was nothing to hold him in death. And since he had no sin in and of himself, there was nothing to hold him there. And so... He was free to to rise, if you will, from the dead, to be raised from the dead. And Peter says, David even knew about this. So he quotes Psalm 16. And he said, David died. This is about one who's risen. And so it's about Jesus. And he was also this Jesus exalted. I feel like I'm in a restaurant. David, he said, David knew about this as well. Because David at one point wrote, The Lord said to my Lord. About whom was David speaking? Well, he was speaking about Jesus, the one exalted. So verse 36, Peter concludes this part by saying, That all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, this Jesus whom you've crucified has been made both Lord and and Christ, this very one, not another one, this very one who came, this very one that you, one that you saw, this very one who was crucified, he is now Lord in Christ. Christ, meaning that he's the Savior. Lord, which means he rules and reigns. Lord, which means he's bringing his kingdom. Lord, which means he's conquering our unbelief by his Spirit so that we enter into his kingdom. That we might yield ourselves to him. Both Lord and Christ. Now notice their response. It says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. In other words, you get this sense they were saying, what have we done? Why have we done this? Why have we run from the Lord of glory? And I, I think there's a sense in which every believer in Christ knows that. Feeling, knows that thought. What have I done? I mean, there's a, a coming to, to recognition. You get this sense with, with the prodigal son. He's sitting there, if you know that story, that parable of Jesus. He's sitting there feeding the pigs, and you get this sense, he's thinking, how stupid I am. What have I done? I've left my father. I've left the one who can provide for me. I've left the one who can care for me. I've left the one who, can, who loves me. i left the one who has a plan for my life. I've left all of this. What have I done? And every believer comes to that point. Oh, you, may have, you may have come to faith and realized it five years later. Or, or you may have realized it one day and still not come to faith until later. But there is a sense in which we all know just that. How could I ignore him? How could I turn from him? This very one. Who's both Lord and Christ? And on the one hand there's fear there, he's the Lord, and if I turn from him, what does that mean? The other side, he's the Christ, what does that mean? How can I turn from this one who is saved? I said to Peter, what should we do? And Peter and brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying to them, You need to change all of your thinking about Jesus. You thought he was the enemy. You thought he was from Satan. You thought he was just another man. You thought he was a political insurrectionist. But, but he's none of that. He's Lord in Christ. Embrace him. Believe in him as the one who saved you. Trust in him as the one who's your Lord. Follow him. And be baptized. That is... You need a covenant sign. They had a covenant sign from the old covenant, which was circumcision, and now he's saying the new covenant sign is baptism. None of you have been baptized, so you need to be baptized. That's identifying with the person of Christ, with who He is. So repent to be baptized. And here's here's what is the consequence of that repentance and baptism, belief. He says you receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait. You don't have to do anything. It's not another work of grace. It's, it's here for you. Believe. Repent. Receive. Forgiveness of sins. So that you'll know me. Right? And receive the Spirit. Now what really does that mean? It, it means that, that everything now has changed at this particular uh, point, uh, point in time. No longer is, is is God confined to a nation. Not only is knowing God confined to a nation; it's for all who will come to Him, all who will believe. We all have God's Spirit. It says it right here: uh, Repent, be baptized, receive forgiveness, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in in Romans uh, in chapter eight, in verse verse nine, he says, "However." You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. Meaning, everybody who does belong to him does have the spirit of Christ. And so, we have the spirit of Christ. There were all witnesses that as we all know him. And thus, our identity is to be those who prophesy. Meaning not for telling the future, not run up to people and say, God told me to tell you to buy the blue car or uh, you shouldn't take that job or you should take that job or you should don't date this person because God told me. Now you want to say don't date this person because for some good reason, but uh, people come to me and say, God told me to tell you that. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Write it down. When God tells me, I'll confer uh, with you. But to speak the truth about God to people, to tell them the truth, to be witnesses in the midst of all this world in which we live, to speak the truth in love, to prophesy. That's who we are. And we're a community of people in whom the Spirit of God works. We're a community of people to work, through whom God will work, to show forth that Christ rules and reigns, that His kingdom has indeed come. We're the manifestation of that new community. That's who we are. We're the manifestation that the kingdom of God has come. And we're the manifestation of a community of God's people through whom He works. We're witnesses. We'll see this through the book of Acts. And we must see this in the context of our lives. And at this point in time, in this point in history, from the time of the Holy Spirit coming, all throughout till Jesus comes again, since all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, we can keep the gospel from no one. Positively stated, we need to tell everybody, regardless of who they are. They might be smarter than we are or not. They might be prettier than we are or not. They might be more socially connected than we are or not. They might be better educated than we are not. They might be richer. They might be all of those things. But we as a community of God's people can withhold the gospel from no one. Let's pray, Father. I pray for me and for us that we would recognize what's happened. Would recognize, uh, would recognize what happened on the day of Pentecost. That the Spirit of God has come, that the new age has come, that Jesus is ruling and reigning, and that He's ruling and reigning by His Spirit through us. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a witnessing people. That you would empower us to be a witnessing people. And, Father, that you would Cause us to love in such a way that we would keep this gospel from no one, that you wouldn't let any reason uh, our fear, our anxiety, our pride, money, convenience. I'm speaking this truth in love to everybody and this I pray in Jesus name Amen folks uh, who've joined with us recently it's a good thing to join I appreciate that no place in the Bible that says you've got a sign on the dotted line in a church but it's really helpful when people do, uh, Scripture says you should make the, the uh, work of the elders uh, joyful. And this is a joyful thing. When people join, it helps us lead better and to know you better and to share our lives with you better uh, when you join. It just simply says, yes, I'm a part of all this. So these folks have done that. You may say, how do I join? And if you're not already a member of our church, I teach a class called Grace 101 a few times a semester. We'll be advertising that soon. We'd like you to go through that. After that, then to spend a moment, a few minutes with our elders, a few of our elders sharing about your life of faith in Christ. Uh, and that's really it. Uh, but uh, it's a good thing to do. So as I introduce these folks... Um, Some we introduce first service if you could make it at this service. If you could just stand down here on the floor in front of me and then I have a few questions for you to give you an opportunity to express your faith in Christ and then uh, afterwards we'll greet you. Uh, Michael and Valerie Bosch, Chris and Laura Berger, James Cook, Tiffany Jeffers, Karen Lombardi, uh, Lindsay Miles, Will and Abby Musgrove, Josh and Carol Nye, uh, Leslie Ferris, and Fred and Diane Thomas. And Lily. Yeah. The baby in a bag. I like that. first three of these questions is an opportunity for these folks to just in front of you, which is a, a friendly crowd, to uh, profess faith in Jesus. It's, 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 again, it's, it's the manifestation, fulfillment of what took place in a- Acts chapter 2. We get to speak the truth. And then the last two on their relationship uh, with the church. All of these, um, not in any way to bind the conscience of anyone, uh, we believe they're all biblical vows to make. First this. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God without hope for your salvation except in his sovereign mercy? Do you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and depend upon him alone for your salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Do you promise and resolve in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as a follower of Christ? You promise to serve Christ and His church by supporting and participating with this congregation and its service to God and its ministry to others. And you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church to the spiritual oversight of this church session and you promise to promote the purity, unity, and peace of the church. You all just stay right there and everybody else if you'll stand. I'll pronounce the benediction, the response to the benediction is Jesus is Christ the Lord? Spin off of verse thirty-six in Acts chapter two. Jesus is Christ the Lord. Amen. After which, rather than running out, if you'll just come this way, come forward and take a moment if you can uh, to greet people. Um, college students, though, you may need to do that fast or buzz off to lunch. So, uh, stick out, stick around with us for lunch this afternoon. And remember, of course, the. Um, Sacred Assembly tonight at 6.30. Please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Jesus is Christ the Lord. Amen.